To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Uh, I got this second part of this Tony Treach podcast I'm going to release here. Um, man, what a great conversation with Tony. Um, you know, there's just such a common theme between successful public land hunters. You know, their dedication and, and discipline and, and, and hard work. And Tony, he's a prime example of that. And to leave his house for weeks or months at a time on this Western tour is just wild to me. But it's really fun to break down his hunts. And, and it's also... You know, it's fun to to see the similarities, fun to see the differences, fun to have a conversation about it. But I also enjoy hearing how tough it is for Tony, like on this mule deer hunt or on his elk hunt and and the challenges he faces that he has to overcome to be successful. Um, because I'm out there too, and I'm I'm grinding, working as hard as I can, and I have challenges that I face. And sometimes I find a, a giant buck or a giant bull, and, and I just can't pull it off. I can't get it done, you know. And it it, uh, it it's frustrating, but it's just it's knowing that that other people are going through these hardships to be successful, and that it isn't easy for anybody out there. And it's it's fun to kind of draw from that as well. So again, just a great conversation with Tony. The second part is just as good as the first part. Um, so I I really enjoyed it, and I think you guys will enjoy it too. Um, sponsor for today's show, Sig Sauer Optics. Um, Sig Sauer is just building some great optics. I'm using their their binos and their spotting scopes. Uh, I love the the color, uh, the clarity. Um, they're really putting out uh, high end optics. And then um, I am just in love with that rangefinder. I I truly built, uh, believe it's the best one made. Um, for, for a bow hunter, it's got a powerful laser, shoots through grass, last target priority, it does angles, real consistent ranges between light and dark targets. I just trust that thing with my life. I, I, I just, um, I know that rangefinder makes me a better bow hunter. And uh, for the rifle guys, it does even more yet. You can get a, an app on your phone. Um, it, it'll do ballistic data. It'll do more than I can even tell you about, but it's just, um, they are the best range finders made. So, uh, make sure to check them out. Thanks to Sig Sauer for sponsoring the podcast. And, um, that over there at Eastman's, we've got, uh, Mike Eastman's stories coming up. Um, they sat down and recorded some of his best stories. He's just such a great storyteller. And so, um, we're going to have those coming up on the podcast. In fact, I'm going to work on one this morning here and, um, see if I can get approval and get it launched to you guys. And then, um, man, I mean, I just have my head down working on this podcast. I just, I want to grow this thing. And I, I know it's just a matter of getting it out to more people. And, you know, my job is to look out for my audience and the content and put out the absolute best stuff I can. And right now, man, I am doing it. I got a couple podcasts that are coming up that are just great ones. Um, one with Dan Picard. He's my bow hunting brother over there at Eastman's. Um, just a, a great guy. I swear I could do a 24 hour podcast with him. It's just so much great information and great information. And we just relate to each other so well. So um, that's a really good one. Recorded one last night. Um, that I have coming up with Mark Heatley, professional surfer off Hawaii that's taken up bow hunting the last five years, but just his approach to it, just such a fun conversation. And we, we talk about a little bit of uh, surf, he just surf jaws with like 60 foot waves. And um, and then we talk about spearfishing. He almost spearfished the, the world record. I mean, we get into it. It's just a great conversation. And so that's going to be a really fun one to release. Got another one coming up today I'm going to record. So I'm just super excited excited at the the content that we're going to be able to release through this podcast to to help you guys and then you know just live that adventurous lifestyle that's the main thing for me I just um I love having passion in my life and going for it and I want to continue to do that and and uh um, work on on this podcast and everything else I've got going so man I'm just super excited um all right I better get this thing out second part of Tony Treach Eastman's Elevated here we go
I was going to ask you about that when you said you um, took care of your buck. So um, when you took care of your buck, so you brought freezers with you in your truck, and then you had a contact there in Colorado. And so you called him. He let him store your freezers at his house. And then like your buck, you didn't totally butcher them. You just kind of boned them out or cleaned them up and then froze them solid. Do I have that right? Yep. No, I keep them right in the same game bags. Uh, I don't even pull them out of the game bag. I bone them out inside a mountain, and then they go into the cooler, you know, in the eddy on, on ice until I get to my freezers back at a friend's house. And I always, wherever I go, I got to make sure that I've got somebody that's willing to let me plug in my freezers into their barn or their garage or something. And uh, this was actually a friend of a friend, uh, but a super cool guy that I'll I'll stay in contact with, and uh, for sure, you know, I'll probably who knows maybe doesn't come with them someday. Um, but, uh, yep, so, you know, the deer's already froze, the skull's cleaned, uh, I had to clean the skull on my, my Colorado buck, and then, uh, so first thing I did, I took my meat over to his house so that I could get at least one day of freeze on the elk, um, before I headed to Montana, and then I cleaned the skull that day, and hung out with some really cool guys at the trailhead from Kansas that I had just met, uh, you know, that, on that hunt, um, I met a ton of cool people this year, um, People that'll be, you know, that are still, I mean, I, I text and chat with them all the time. They're good, good dudes. Um, and then the next day I went and picked up my freezers and uh, the extra coolers that I knew I'd need later and uh, headed up to uh, Montana. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and that's, and that's a hunt that I've, you know, we, you and I have talked about that area before. I've hunted it late. Pretty, pretty much that's the only time I've ever hunted it late. And I never really ran into a whole lot of people. Uh, this year, I, th- I think we've been talking about hunting Montana late too much on, on podcasts because it was packed. There was people everywhere. And, uh, you know, I, I had some new spots, uh, to check out in that unit from, you know, I, you know, you gave me a couple of spots, uh, to, to, to go look at. And a couple other guys that are uh, great elk hunters gave me a couple of good spots to go look at, but I wasn't there three days and it started raining and, in that area, when it rains, you just kind of got to hunker down, and it 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 never really stopped. It would it would rain at least a little bit every day, and the roads they dried up enough. I could you know you could get out if you had to, but you had to be careful. And uh, uh, and that's no you know I, I was in bulls every day. It was a lot like Colorado. Um, I was finding and I was finding good bulls. Um, I didn't find something I wanted to shoot every day, but it was, you know, uh, there was, there was plenty of bulls that I was like, all right, we're going to kill this one and I'm going to move in. And it was just one time after another where I was blowing up, you know, blowing up the herd, you know, <laughs> my, I'd, I'd find them wasn't the problem. It was moving in and getting them killed. I uh, get, I never, yeah, spoiler alert, I never loosed an arrow in, in Montana. Um, those those elk, I, they are so high pressure. Aren't they like a different species, Tony? Oh, they're like hunting an antelope in there. High pressure elk, they, they're looking for humans yeah. and predators, and they use their eyes more. But moving on a wilderness elk and moving on one of those high pressure elk, that is two different ball games. And, and one of the reasons, you know, why yeah. I wasn't in that unit this year, they're just so high pressure that I'd find those good bulls. They are so tough to, to arrow and kill in that unit, even though you see a lot of them, they've probably seen and been spooked by 10 different humans that season or more, and so they're just really yeah. on edge, and you just, you can't get away with anything. I think they sometimes are more switched on than a than a muley buck or an antelope. Like, they, they just know what human pressure are, and they're looking for it. Is that what you found there, too? Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Yeah, it's easy to find them and easy to see them in there, but just getting them getting them killed you know and i passed up younger bucks or younger bulls um but but the herd bulls were just you know them and their cows were just so smart even if it was just a a five by six herd bull you know he was you know i a couple times you know i got to the point where i'm close you know with about 100 200 yards of the herd i'm thinking this is like the perfect calling situation and i hardly ever call in there whether you know unless it's just a stoppable for a shot but I thought, I just, this is too perfect not to try. And uh, I literally, you know, I dropped down so they'd be just, they'd have to come, they wouldn't have to, come, you know, come up at all or even traverse. They could even come down to me. I'm 75, 80 yards through the, you know, thick pines where they're bedded. And I just let out a couple soft cow calls. And I can see a whole group of elk <laughs> in the bowl. 
And simultaneously, it was like on cue, they all stand up and just walk away. <laughs> like I made two cow calls, and the entire herd just like all look at each other, like, "Yep, let's go." Man, isn't up, isn't that the way up, it goes? Yeah. yeah, that's why I've I, got away from calling too. Those <laughs> mature bulls or those those higher pressure elk, they just know better. When you're hunting public ground, it's very rare to get on an elk yeah. that hasn't been hunted or called to, but they know the difference. And so this year, I tried to have it in my bag of tricks a little bit more. And I I used to call a lot of elk ten years ago, but I I ended up I'd call a lot of satellite bulls, and then I found that same thing that when I found one I really wanted to kill and I called to him. A lot of times I was chasing them out of the drainage and even trying to get to the right spots. And there's guys that are definitely better at it than me. And it does work. That's the majority of big bulls that are killed in September are called in. But but for me, I I just have that same thing where I tried to use it a little bit this season. And again, I called in a couple satellite bulls and, um, you know, I could interact with the herd bull a little bit, but... Man, I, I had one chance where we were making the last play on this bull, and same thing as you, where we see him go over the ridge, and we tried to make it to that ridge, and he was just this beautiful big six-point. You know, I, it, he wasn't, you know, he was like a like a really nice, pretty 330 bull, like one we really wanted to kill, and I had my buddy as the shooter, mm-hmm. and we were spotting, stalking him all night and getting close, but he went over that last ridge, and we hustled up, and he ended up being 90 over that ridge, and I thought, well, it's as good a time as any. Like, there was no more moves we could make i thought i'll make a couple cow calls and you know maybe we'll pull them back over this ridge and have them come check us out minute i use those cow calls like everything is on to me alert and and they're not running spooked but they're definitely not coming in my direction now now they're working away from me like they they just feel that pressure and so i'm with you man I, i love to spot and stalk those things and if you're hunting really low-pressure elk or a unit that, that not many people draw or you get into the right scenario, I mean, calling definitely works, and I'm I'm not going to discount it. But for me and my style of hunting and the bulls that I'm after, oh, man, I'm just better off to be silent, I think. I did use yeah. I did use calls um, at night quite a bit this year, where I'd I'd bugle at night to try to locate elk, so I'd have a play yeah. in the morning, and that that worked out really well because they would answer me. I wouldn't call to them anymore, and then I knew where a bull was for morning. So that tactic seemed to work, and I'm going to incorporate that a little bit more. But as far as the calling, and you know, I'm sure I can improve and get better. And there's guys that are better than me, or maybe you need to find those elk that are less pressured, and it would work a little bit better. But it just seems like you can fool those younger bulls, those older bulls, man. They're tough to fool, fool on public ground. Yeah, no, it was, it was definitely a challenge, and I, uh, it, it didn't. The, the pressure seemed to let up a little bit. I think the the rain drew drove a lot of the guys out of there, um, and uh, you know, I basically had drawn a line, you know, on or you know, on the on the map or calendar, and said, okay, this date. I'm pulling out of here to get to my Wyoming hunt. Um, so I, uh, I think I had three days or four days left and I had, I had seen a bull, uh, at distance right before dark. Uh, you know, he, he was a mile away. I couldn't, didn't really have time to get to him. Uh, and he was a, a another club ball, believe it or not, uh, opposite sides of the one I, I had, I would have had, uh, like matching, uh, club bulls. Um, and I found him again about three days before I left, and he was in a great spot. Only had, I think, three or four cows. Maybe it was three cows and a calf. And I waited for him to get up, start feeding to figure out which way they were going to go, and I got right in front of him um, a couple miles, you know, to get to that point, and it worked out perfect. His cows and that calf walked, you know, 30, 40 yards from me, and he wasn't there <laughs> a satellite bullet came behind him so basically they, they, the cows and calves go by i give it like 15 minutes i'm like where is he? he was he was right with him when i snuck down here and i got back up on top of the ridge or just went up a little ways and he was chasing off a satellite uh he had turned around and walked all the way back to where they were bedded and was standing there you know and there was a satellite standing 100 yards away staring at him and i was just kind of you know even when i didn't mess up something something went wrong in montana like that and then uh, the last day I was there, I actually got on one of the really big bulls. Um, you know, I spot him about a mile, maybe a little more away, and made my way to him, uh, only to figure out there was a big, uh, like a like a long, skinny marsh, uh, right, kind of in between the little, you know, 
hill he was on and the hill I was on, we were only about 300 yards apart. And uh, just as, as I'm trying to figure out, like, holy cow, with the wind, I got to go, I can't go to the north, I got to go to the south, and, and uh, it's going to be, it's like six, seven hundred yards around, you know, to get to the end of the marsh, and then another six, seven hundred yards back to him, and I'm, I'm just contemplating, like, man, they're going to be up and moving by this time, it's already four o'clock, and, or 3.30 or something like that, and uh, about that time, he stands up and just starts feeding down towards the water, and I'm thinking, oh my god, this is perfect, the wind's good, he's coming to get a drink, he's leaving his cows, <laughs> I'm like, this is, this is ideal. And he's the biggest bull that I've, that I've had a legitimate shot opportunity at. And, uh, I mean, he got within my range. Uh, it was narrow on the, on the bow. The sight was dialed. Uh, and it's a range that I feel very comfortable, you know, very, very comfortable. It's, it's long. It was a long, it was not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. It wasn't a, it wasn't a short shot, but, he was mine. I mean, I, I'm so I'm just, he would have been dead. And he's standing there broad, almost broadside. He was quartering to me, maybe 10 degrees. And I'm just, it was, it was such a good situation that I told myself, just wait for him to take that step forward. But he, and heck, he might even come all the way down. Because if he comes all the way to the water, it's only 20 yards across. You know, as soon as he puts his head down to feet, I just got to back up the hill, you know, backwards, and I'll gain elevation a little bit, and I'll be able to shoot right down over his cattails into him. And, uh, and it, just, it was just too good to, to rush. And, uh, and as fast as I could think, you know, just he needs one more step forward, needs one more step forward. I mean, I had a clear lane with all the brush and the branches. Everything was good. All I had to do was draw and shoot. And he rips his head up and whirls and is gone. And I don't mean just like run to the woods and turn around and look back. I could see him running for a mile, you know, within like, you know, seconds. And I'm standing there with my release still on the string, like, wait, come back. <laughs> that that was too perfect. No, that was gonna happen. Oh, and it just it just ripped my heart out. I mean, I, I uh, it was it was a slam dunk opportunity that I blew. I mean, and it would have been a longer shot. I'm not gonna lie, but I, there was no wind. There was no obstacles. I was I wasn't you know I was calm and cool, and I was it was gonna happen. I just you know and. It was one of those moments that I'm not going to forget that for, for a while. <laughs> so, oh, that's a heartbreaker. But, it, it's almost yeah. tougher when you get that close or you have one in bow range that you've been working so hard to create that opportunity mm. and it falls apart or deteriorates, deteriorizes right in front of you. Like that, it almost, that's almost a bigger letdown than if you weren't even close to an elk because you just, you'd feel like that was my chance. Oh, yeah. That was my opportunity. Yeah, I, I had it right there and it, <laughs> and it didn't come together. How can I ever create that again? It's taken me this many days this many stocks yeah. um man that's a heartbreaker tony that's too bad yeah it was it wasn't uh it wasn't a good feeling i mean it's still it wasn't that long ago still i mean it was uh uh just two weeks ago or two and a half weeks yeah. ago so it was pretty pretty tough to you know and i already had at that point i had the truck packed up everything was because it was the last day i was going to hunt i was going to take off that night and try to try to get out of there <laughs> anyways down the road because I was on a secondary road, um, and uh, to walk back to camp knowing that, you know, it's dark, there's, you just messed up on the biggest one, and the truck's backed up, the tent, you're not going to jump back in the tent and give it another shot tomorrow, we're going, we're going moving on to the next state, and, um, and it was probably, you know, that's probably my best elk tag that I had uh, for the season, so, I mean, and, and I saw the, probably the, some of the best bulls, but, so, but, uh, did he catch your wind, Tony? It was underwhelming. <laughs> What's that? Did he catch your wind? You know, I don't think so. I don't know what it was. Um, the wind was just slamming me in the face. I mean, it wasn't even a crossing wind, which I usually would actually prefer, you know, it, it was just, it was blowing hard that day, uh, and we were down in the bottom, so maybe there was a swirl that happened down there, uh, down by that water. But, but man, it it sure didn't seem like. I mean, I, I it was blowing hard enough. That it was one of those days it was just ripping down the canyon. You know, it's like you don't even. I don't know how it could have uh, swirled in there, but whether it was that or who knows, maybe 
maybe one of those cows, I hadn't been paying attention. This is another thought that I've had run through my head. Maybe one of them got up and was following him, and I'm so focused on him. I didn't see her. She saw me, came to attention maybe, and maybe she, you know, whirled and took off first, and I didn't even see her, you know, as hard as it was blowing that day, but he saw her, and he just followed. I don't I don't know. Hmm. But I could tell you every detail about his uh, his antlers and his rack and his, you know, the color of his his, his hide and oh yeah he was he was pretty oh man that's too bad so it was your last <laughs> day had to load up and get out of there that that mud like uh you hear about it and you've spent time in that country so you know what it's about but man that stuff you just can't go anywhere and it you're stuck in and the bad part about it is like you don't mind staying in there but a lot of times you get stuck in an area because it's rain and mud and you get stuck in an area where there are no elk around and you can't move like you just you're stuck there and there isn't many elk to get on but um, that stuff is brutal in that country, and there you think you can drive or four wheel through some stuff. That yeah. stuff you can't. Uh, you you blow up your truck, nope. you'll bury your truck, and it'll it'll yep. seem like flat ground. You'll slide all the way off into the grass, into the ditch. Just right now, you got no control on that stuff. No, nothing at all. No, like you say, flat ground is impassable with a four wheel drive truck. It's uh, there were some guys from Minnesota that. I'd seen their camp way in on the secondary road I was in. And I was thinking, man, I hope they know they've been here before and are watching the weather. Well, they weren't, and uh, they buried a tundra in there. I mean, they had to wait till four or five days, maybe it was three or four days later, to come in and get it out. Um, and they they used the truck with chains on it and big old mud tires to get it out. But no, and actually, yeah, I never even got to really check out a lot of the spots that you and my other my other friend told me about. I mean, it was just you know, got wet. I'm like, well, there's elk here. I'm not, you know, it's not, it's not, I'm not in a bad situation. Um, I just had to focus here and, and, and I definitely can't blame that because I was an elk almost every day. I think I did see elk every single day of both my hunts. Um, you know, and I saw shooter bulls, I bet you more than 50% of the time, 50% of the days. So, so it was, it was good. It's good elk hunting, Tony. Uh, you, you made good on yeah, your time. Next that's week. really good elk hunting, <laughs> man. That's um, yeah, that's what you're looking for. And seeing a shooter bull 50% of the time, you were creating opportunities. Um, uh, you were hunting elk. You were giving it your all. Oh my god, I was I I still haven't ended up went back and looked at uh, all the miles and steps that I put on uh, in August and September. But it was, I mean, I mean, I probably averaged 20 to 25,000 steps in 10 miles a day with some highs that were double that and um uh, it was yeah lots of lots of calories burned for a couple months man so you finished up that hunt um yep. montana uh gosh dang heartbreaker there on that bowl on the last day and then um <laughs> you had a, a wyoming tag right and so you were headed to wyoming and this one um you were going to put the yep. bow away and get the rifle out do i have that correct tony yeah, it was a uh, it was one of the Wyoming Type One tags. It doesn't uh, doesn't allow you to buy the archery stamp and and then hunt during the archery season. Otherwise, I probably would have been there uh, beforehand. But um, and I still could have towed the bow on around and wore the orange like you do in Montana deer. But um, you know, I, as a gear tester for Rockslide, you know, you, you gotta uh diversify sometimes and, and i grew up a, a, a gun hunter and i, I don't have anything against it and I've, I've told a lot of people this probably the only reason that i archery hunt more than bow or i'm sorry archery hunt more than rifle nowadays is just because i can get you know you, a better tag the same the same archery tag for a for a given unit and the same you know a, a rifle tag for that same unit you know you're you're gonna take a lot less points to draw the archery tags but this one was you know, I got lucky in the draws in Wyoming, and I and it's and it was only like probably a three or four point unit, maybe two or three point unit to be guaranteed the tag. But I only had a point, and I I drew it and uh, got a chance to test out. Uh, I mean, an amazing uh, piece of art rifle. It's a Snowy Mountain rifle that is made in Montana, and it is pretty amazing. Um, Spent some time with those guys shooting it before the hunt and uh, and then busting rocks on my own and with another buddy in Wyoming um, out to ranges that, I mean, it's, it's, 
it's amazing when when a gunsmith that's been working building guns for 30 years you know does everything from scratch how that gun shoots compared to one that's just kind of thrown together at a factory or even by some some of these smaller companies that are just screwing on barrels and calling a custom gun but it's it was it was pretty amazing what i was able to do with you know only sending up you know a couple hundred or not a couple hundred probably 100 rounds through it uh to this point uh it's pretty sweet but the area i was hunting in wyoming again another another unit that was new to me um was i mean it looks gorgeous uh when I first got there and it, but it just started to snow. I mean, like it was literally just, there was a storm coming in the night I got there and I only had a couple of days to scout. And that first night, I think we got, well, up top, I think they got about a foot of snow and with 30, 40 mile an hour winds, there were some wind drifts that were impassable. Uh, there were people up there that were already camped for hunting season that I think were pretty much stuck in there for a while. Uh, most of the people that were hunting you know, you got low ground, that high ground that got snowed in, and then the middle ground, which is maybe got eight to ten inches of snow, um, and that. But there's only a couple ways in, uh, and uh, I'd call them ATV trails. Um, I brought a four wheeler with me so I could access some of these, you know, spots without having to walk ten miles uh, in. And I mean, I went in there. And it was one of those, it was a rough enough trail on a four-wheeler that it'd take me a couple hours to get in. And there were people taking full-size trucks in there. And, and uh, it was a madhouse. Opening morning, found I, I'm, I'm on a glassing point where I'd seen a good buck uh, in a couple, you know, I'd seen some herds out, but they're all cows. But I just assume that, you know, we, the, buck, the bulls will be there. Well, the, it wasn't... Man, it wasn't uh, wasn't the greatest representation of what hunting should be like. Um, there were with that storm up top, it pushed. I would I, I'm gonna guess half the elk hunters in that unit down low, and then you add on top of that that the the general uh, rifle tag for deer opened up the same day. It was a madhouse. Um, and I'm just sitting on a glassy knob watching. Watching razors chase elk. Watching, I watched people shoot elk. I watched uh, people get in fights. Uh, I mean, it was just there were vehicles everywhere. And this is eight to ten miles in uh, from a main road. And I mean, I, 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 I it's, it still boggles my mind that I saw what I saw that one day. And there was a lot of elk up there. I only saw one branch antler bull. Uh, you know, in the first part of the day, even, you know, and I bet I, boy, by, by noon, I'd probably seen a hundred elk, maybe 150 elk and only one bull and he died. It was a four by three or five by three. Um, saw a couple spikes die. Um, I mean, for being my first rifle hunt in a while, I'm thinking this is why I bow hunt, <laughs> but, um, it was, I was pretty frustrated and, you know, I stayed up in my glass and for quite a while, they're just thinking something's going to run by because elk were running back and forth, back and forth. But there are some really super steep uh, drop offs to this kind of this hunting area. It's, you know, it's like a big plateau with rolling hills and canyons up top. And then these super steep side hills, uh, on, at least on two sides of this area. This is big country. I mean, it's not it's not really compact. So there's a it's quite a distance to these areas. And then these big steep areas are long and. Well, I just decided to get on the side of one of them and glass the, the nasty, steep, rugged stuff that, you know, where I'd seen a lot of these groups of elk running to, even though I hadn't seen any bulls going in there, um, or at least make it to that spot. And I got over there probably, I don't know, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, and, uh, boy, it didn't take long. And I'm like, oh, I'm glassing. I'm like, there's an elk. You know, there's smoke, and then pretty soon there, there's a whole herd. There's a giant herd, and there's like 50, 60, 70 elk on the side of this hill in this little teeny chute between these rows of pines. And oh, it probably didn't take me five, ten minutes to pick out the bull. And I'm like, oh, I, I mean, you know, my heart finally starts beating. You're like, not only are these elk not pressured, there's a bull, you know, and he's got a big long main beam. And I'm like, I didn't, I don't even, I don't even think I looked at him long enough to tell you if he even had his left side but after seeing that his right side and a six point side and a mature bull i'm like i'm gonna go try to kill him you know 
at that point, you're just feeling lucky to see a bowl with as many people as you've seen. And so I went all the way back around up to the top of the mountain, um, or as close as I could get to it, and snuck up over the top from behind them. And, I mean, for a rifle hunter, I mean, it would have been, it is like, it was the most picturesque, perfect scene. I mean, there was like this big flat cliff where I was able to lay out that, that snowy mountain on the bipod and, you know, I had the backpack behind the buttstock and I just waited. And, uh, it probably took an hour baking there in the sun, but eventually they gave me a shot and, um, it, it only took one and he was down and it's like, wow, this, this is nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice after struggling with the bow for you know on that Montana hunt to to find one and be like all right when when I find them it's it's lights out and that gun worked great and I uh, then I worked instead of going down and getting them and bringing them back up I actually drove the quad all the way down to the bottom and then watched you know as far as I could anyways and then walked across to the bottom of that mountain and walked up uh, deboned them. Uh, brought them down in two trips to the bottom and then, and then worked them worked them over across the quad. I think I got back to the, my tent at about three or four in the morning, with uh, with them all, all boned out and tagged out and done. And I to say I felt lucky to even see a mature six point on that hunt is a understatement. I mean that was it was crazy in there. <laughs> I don't i'll I'll never apply for that unit again um and i'm sure it's not always like that you know if if it wasn't a storm that pushed everybody together in one spot um i'm sure it'd been different but uh, it's not worth the risk you know that's i really for the first time you know it's been a long time since i used a rifle and i really enjoyed it and i'm definitely going to do it again i mean that just just going out and shooting rocks with that thing is fun um but i won't be applying there and on that one and and then it was it was time to turn attention to deer and i had a buddy uh actually a guy that i met in wyoming uh on a back back road going i was going hiking or uh, driving into a unit to, to a trailhead to hike in and he was coming out this was two or three years ago we ran into each other and we've stayed in contact since and he had told me he's like as soon as you kill your elk you come find me when we'll go hunt deer he knows he's a you know diehard deer hunter that knows the area pretty well and we chased deer around for uh, oh, about a week. Um, we went up. Uh, his wife had a pretty good elk tag, and well, at least better than the one I had. Uh, we took horses in uh, and hunted that, and got her a really good bull. And then uh, came out, and uh, I got my my deer the next day. Um, but that was one of those situations we had seen that deer a couple times. Um, he was never hanging around other bucks. He would. Uh, be around, we saw him with some does, but really didn't notice much difference in his size. We just noticed, you know, extra points and inlines and a cool big fork on one side. And I mean, I had him pegged for 185 inch deer, and uh, we found him that morning. Um, and actually, other people had found him at the same time. And you know, we're up on a glass and hoping to put him to bed. These guys are down on the road, basically road hunting. They see him chase him down uh yeah, i mean it was ugly they uh the people were actually chasing him in the quad never or the razor never caught up to him but they chased him right to another group of people um you know this is general hunting in public land this is kind of what happens there's not it's not always pretty but they uh they were shooting at him and we watched where he went into or where he disappeared to at least and i uh i you know but he kind of disappeared into a canyon and then who knows where he goes after that, but we watched those guys for a while, and pretty soon they're, they've got a buck. They're processing, and it took a half hour of glassing them to figure out that it wasn't the same buck. It was just a little forky, um, so at that point, I'm like, well, let's go check out that canyon. Derek had a good idea of, he's like, well, if he went in there, he's going to go north, and this is where he's going to be, kind of the area, and we drove around to that area, and I uh, snuck over to the, to, to the canyon, and um, those guys stayed in one spot, just glass, and uh, Ian and Derek did. And I, uh, I started just walking up and down the, or, or just down the uh, the canyon edge, you know, glass peer, peering over and, and glassing every once in a while, and um, probably 20 minutes into it, and uh, I saw a little white face with a white frame above it, and uh, it was him, and I was able to confirm, you know, I saw the inlines, and he's just laying there. 
um, I didn't I didn't know at the time he was hit, uh, but they had put one round uh, grazed right across the top of his back, or his butt, pretty much, above his hindquarters. Well, I basically got set up for the shot, um, which you know, a little bit longer range than that turret scope. It's it's kind of fun now that I'm doing it. You know, I'm getting the range and dialing in the range and checking out the wind and setting up the shot. But he was starting to get a little edgy. He had he had seen me skyline my head peeking over the, the rocks and he was quite a ways out there and he's just laying in these pinion and junipers and he start he stands up and, and starts moving out and uh, I wait till he's broadside and I send one and you know, he, I, just because of the, the the position I was in I wasn't able to stay in the scope and, and watch the impact on this one this round and that's so by the time I got back on him he's just walking and I was like oh crap I, did I miss I rack and our shell in Put it on his, you know, his shoulder. He stops. I shoot again, and he just dropped. You know, everybody, you know, within ten feet, anyways. So it was high fives. I ran over back to the guys, and we, you know, we were all excited. That was the buck we were there for. You know, he looked great, and uh, we work our way over there to him down the canyon and back up the other side. And uh, you know, right away I see that wound on his butt, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe my first shot was that bad. You know, I. And I look in the wound, and there's blue, like plastic, in the in the in the, you know, right in the little groove, basically someone put across his hind end, and it was only, you know, just basically that's what it was. It's a notch, and I'm like, uh, this is like the blue ballistic tip from a right from around, and I pull out one of my shells. I'm like, I'm not shooting a blue ballistic tip. <laughs> I've got, you know, uh, that and that that was that was the other people's shot, and both mine were good. And, uh, but he was down, he was, you know, he's an old buck, but, you know, to, to what we were talking about earlier, but not being able to always accurately judge their, their, their total size. If you don't see him with other deer for reference, he was a 120 pound deer. I've never seen anything like this. He was complete, completely proportional. Everything like his little skull is, I mean, it's, tiny he, he looked like a 185 inch deer with all these kickers and stuff but he was like a pygmy like a dwarf deer um i i mean he's old he's got cool character in him i'm super happy with him i wasn't disappointed at all it was by far the best buck we saw uh at least the most character and the you know the coolest buck we saw but this you know you know the it's just it was we were all just stood there in amazement, like how tiny this little, it looked like a coos buck. It really looked like a little coos with a mule rack. Um, it was just a tiny little animal. Um, and I looked at Derek and I said, is this how big your, uh, all your, your, uh, mule deer are in this area? And he just shook his head like, nope, never seen this before. <laughs> you know, it's, it was just, uh, an old deer with a super tiny body. Like it was just never any bigger. That's wild. Yeah, there, there's definitely That's different subspecies of mule deer, but it sounds like that wasn't the norm there either. But I know even like like I'll be headed. No, no, Derek said. You know. Yeah, I'll be headed out to Montana to hunt deer out there. But there's like there there's different deer out there as well. Like like you say, sometimes you shoot a buck and it has a giant body. It's 250 pounds and a rack to match. And then sometimes you shoot them out there, and they're 140, 160-pound deer, you know? They're just uh, within mm-hmm. the same subspecies, it seems like, bigger and smaller bodies. But that one sounds like at the, the very extreme of the spectrum, like like the smallest mule deer you've ever seen. It, it, I mean, if you stood them out alone by, in a field by himself, I would challenge just about anybody to tell me that's not a big old mature buck. I mean, he had the big old white face i mean he had extras and, and inlines everything's proportional there his ears were tiny his head was i mean his head is like i bet it was six inches you know that normal uh corner of the eye to corner of the nose measurement you know like on a white tail average is probably seven on a mule deer maybe eight it's probably six inches like i did the european on this skull and it, i pull it out and it's like i mean like this looks like a eight month old deer skull it's just tiny um I don't, it's, it's, it's cool because it, 
you know, it probably never happened again. And he was an old deer. I mean, his teeth didn't, I mean, there was a lot of wear on him and, but it's just tiny body, tiny everything. Yeah. Well, and, and, um, you know, it sounds like you had fun with the rifle season and it's tough when you get like a lot of those easy to draw rifle tags, there is a lot of pressure and you had, um, circumstances which kind of forced everybody into an area and you, you hate to kind of see that ugly side of hunting that isn't hunting. Like the guy is trying to chase it down in the the side by side and shooting oh. at it and chasing elk and fish fights like you're talking about or arguments. It's like, man, that isn't what a, what hunting is. Hunting is all about mm-hmm. the experience, and we're all so fortunate that we have public ground that we have you know thousands and thousands of acres that we can go roam. And sometimes it's worth it, you know, just to. To go find a place on your own that may have less deer or less elk, but you get a better experience, you know. I just don't want to get in that mix, but, you know, sometimes that's where the animals are. And if you grab a vantage point and just kind of let things happen and see where that deer ended up like you did and able to take advantage of it. But, um, yeah, you, you definitely want to create a good experience when you're out there and not get caught up in that. And I also thought, like, back to your... You're, you know, when you were talking about elk in Colorado, how you know you're just brutally honest with people, or just super honest. You tell them exactly what you yeah. see, it, and then you tell them where you're going to hunt and what your game plan is. You're you're kind of making your your plan known to those guys, and then it's their choice whether they want to come in with yeah. you or not. But you've got your game plan. You're not right. wavering. And and it's a double edged sword. Sometimes it can bite you where you know you gave too much information to those guys, and those guys just figure, well, I'm going to hunt on top of them. But the majority of guys are going to say, you know, he's got this spot covered. This is where he's hunting. Now I can kind of plan my hunt around him, and I'll hunt, you know, off the edges, or I'll go to this canyon where he's not, one more canyon over, and that's where I'll hunt. And so, um, you know, it's just something that we have to deal with. We have to deal with other hunters and hunting pressure and whether we're bow hunting or rifle hunting. And I'm sure you ran into guys, you know, when you were hunting your elk tag in Montana and you got to kind of leave guys to hunt elk sometimes and go, you know, they've got the jump on me. They're in front like they, they've got that play. All I can do is sit back here and watch or go find another canyon or another bowl. And, and, and same thing with the rifle hunting, you know, sometimes guys got the jump on you and they, they have it. But you you got to try to create you know, a positive experience and try to remember what you're, why you're there. And it sounds like that's what you did on, on both of those rifle hunts. Yeah. I mean, I, I walked away filling bull tags in with, you know, pretty cool animals both times. I'm, I'm, I couldn't be happier. Uh, but I feel pretty fortunate, uh, with as many hunters we saw and as much pressure as there was. And I've never even, I mean, I grew up in Michigan. We kill, 400, 500,000 deer in a deer season here, and I've never seen craziness like that. Um, it was just a weird situation where a lot of people with high expectations were, were pushed because of the weather into the only area they could hunt and get into, and um, yeah, it was just it was unfortunate that, you know, you know, in hindsight, maybe, you know, that season heck it's still going on for four or five days now i think that if someone were you know were, would have waited till the last week of season they would have had a whole lot better experience uh, I, I think that's such a good play too as you say we're pushing the late season for elk too much on podcasts which i think you're right it seems like this october there was more guys out and, and about and hunting and things with their bow um but but in that same breath like a lot of these tags you always go to hunt the opener if you just wait a week you'd have the whole place to yourself and just create such a good experience in there and and and, and probably have you know better opportunities at good bucks and good bulls like I, i'm really going to try to incorporate that in the future just waiting and letting that first week or that opening week letting them have it and then i'll go in after that and i'll have all the mountains to myself and just have this amazing experience and yeah Maybe you don't get that first jump on them or that opener of finding that that buck with his guard down. But deer go back to being deer, and they find spots where humans aren't, and then you just have the whole place to yourself. But I think that's a a really good strategy when you draw a tag is to look how long that season is and try to plan that second or third week or last week in the season or however it falls because you can – if you get away from that hunting pressure, you sure give yourself really good odds of filling that tag with a with a quality critter. Oh yeah, no, I would have, you know, yeah, hunting. If I'd have hunted those same Wyoming tags the last week of the season and not seen anybody and, and walked out of there without any of the animals, 
and but had like a good experience where I was able to you know hunt without a bunch of pressure, I probably would have you know would have I would have definitely had a better opinion about those units uh, you know in my head right now. But um, but it worked out the way it did, and I, I got two coolers yet to go process a meat. <laughs> I got one elk and one deer. I got, I got uh, one of each left to go. I've been waiting for them to thaw out, uh, but they're, they're good to go today. So, um, I can't complain. That's it worked out. I feel really lucky on that up Wyoming elk and, um, you know, it, the, the little, the Wyoming buck is, you know, he might only be 155 inches, but he, you know, he sure looks nice with that little teeny skull. <laughs> the <laughs> Euro's gonna look neat, but uh, I mean, it just shows a show. Sometimes they uh, they can they can fool you, but yeah. Well, um, yeah, that that butcher and that'll kind of complete your Western tour, and you kind of feel like you got all your stuff taken care of, and then um, you're off to Kansas. You got another late season tag, I know, um, down in New Mexico with your bow. Yep. Uh, Kansas is with yep. your bow as well, and you've got that place just dialed in. I'm yep. so excited after talking to you the last time about Kansas, but man, congratulations on, oh. on just an awesome adventure, Tony. Like your adventure from Thanks. start to finish, like you're scouting and then to harvest such a good mule deer with your bow in Colorado good elk and then those good animals in wyoming adventure in montana and had those encounters with those bulls uh what an amazing adventure and experience and and uh you know i draw from that and get motivation from it too tony you're out there grinding working hard and and effort equals success and it's paying off for you with some quality critters um man i'm just super stoked for you and i i'm uh Thank, thank you for taking the time and being on the podcast and sharing this whole tour. It, oh, yeah. It's so fun for me to hear about and, and so fun for our audience to hear about. So congratulations, Tony, man. Just an, an awesome trip, it sounds like. Thanks, thanks, Brian. It was a lot of fun. And I, uh, I draw inspiration from your podcast, and you're listening about your hunts too. So it's it's a two-way road for sure. Right on, man. Well, um, good hunting on these next couple trips. I better let you get back to processing, getting that, that last elk and deer butchered up. Um, but, yeah, thanks again, man. Let's keep in touch, and um, I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Brian. Okay, bye. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Um, again, just a fun conversation with Tony. Uh, such a dedicated, disciplined, hardworking backcountry hunter, and they'll leave your house for months at a time. That is crazy. Um, I, I, you know, I think I – well, I know I hunt a ton. I hunt a lot. Like I push my limits of what I can do and the hunts I go on. And so when I talk to somebody that, that's been hunting for more days than me, I'm I'm always impressed. And um, like I say, I, I love to hear about the struggle too. I love to hear about the challenges that he overcomes and, and um, disappointment he faces. And um, those – I love those stories because that's what I am. Like I – uh, you know, my number one tool in being successful is persistence and, you know, I'll mess up a shot here or there, mess up a stock or, um, but, but the key to my success is that I keep going. I keep looking for that new spot or that next opportunity. And I, I keep looking to, to try to create a, a, a shot and, and, and try to, you know, be cool under pressure. And I, I just, I absolutely love it. So, um, really fun to talk to Tony. Thanks again for him being on. Sponsor for today's show, Sig Sauer Optics. So I've uh, been using their binos, their spotting scopes. Guys, they also have just some awesome rifle scopes that they've come up with. And, and then I'm just in love with those rangefinders. I truly think they're the best ones ever made. They just, um, for for a bow hunter doing angles and, and a powerful laser, last target priority, good consistent ranges, um, it, it truly does make me better. And uh, for the rifle guy, it does even more. So make sure to check them out. Um, Again, thanks to to our sponsors. I mean, um, yeah, these sponsors that believe in me and believe in the podcast and and uh, stand behind it and support it uh, just means the world. And I I just want to do everything I can for for these companies to to return the favor. Um, so so thanks to those guys and all our sponsors here at Eastman's Elevated. Just super excited for the for the future here of the podcast. And uh, with that, make sure to be on the lookout for Mike Eastman's story. I think the first one we have coming up is about a bald elk, It's a, and it's a good one. He's just a great storyteller. So make sure to be on the lookout for that, and then um, just some great podcasts coming down the pipe. Uh, like say, that Mark Heatley one was just a great one last night, just his approach to life and 
uh, you know, living a, a passionate life and, and living, living his best life. And, and that's a, a big theme with me is living my best life is, um, trying to get as much out of this world as I can while I'm here. You're just here for a short time, just spinning around the sun on this rock. And, um, like you say, uh, I, I think as humans, you know, we spend too much time, uh, worrying about things or, or just going through the motions in, in regular life. And I, I just going to try to get as much enjoyment out of, out of it as I can and and for me you know it's backcountry bow hunting it's bow hunting wherever I can go but but also trail running you know I've been out it's winter time now here in Montana every night is is well below freezing wind blowing some nights snowing and um just out there on the trails every night running with my headlamp I just um I want to be in the absolute best shape I can I want to be the best bow hunter I can be um I, I I love being confident in my skills and, and confident in my fitness and and um, I, I'm gonna really take my bow shooting to another level this year. Um, uh, shooting absolutely every single day, if not two a day. Really working with my bow and tinkering, making sure I've got all the best trusted gear on there. Like I I'm just pumped. Um, you know, and I. I, I definitely enjoy hunting season the most and going for it. That is my favorite time of year and, and being able to, to go to these different places. But I enjoy the process of the whole thing, too. Um, I embrace the process of, of, you know, putting in for tags and trying to plan these hunts and enjoy the process of training and, and trying to, to find another level that, that my body can hit, body, mind, soul, everything, you know. So um, I, I'm just psyched on life right now. I just work hard and, and um, get to get to the, you know, live my best life, I guess, to circle back. But um Right on. I always appreciate all the support, you guys. Um, thanks so much for the the repost and and uh, pushing the podcast. I mean, it you create this thing, and I I just want to have it continue to grow. And I know if I just continue to put out good content, you know, you guys are going to help um, pass the name of the podcast. Pe- other people are going to find it. When they do find it, they're going to like it. And so, you know, we're we're just we have a unique community here and a, a unique niche in the podcast world. And um, I I just want to continue to push it and continue to get it out there and bring you guys the best content so you guys can be more successful in the mountains. Um, so thanks again, guys. I really appreciate it. Uh, check in with you guys next week.